Evening, Dan. Evening, Omar. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you doing? All right, thank you. All good. Um, very excited tonight because uh, actually in uh, time old fashion, Daniel Giway delegating part of uh, this podcast to someone much uh, more articulate than me um, is going to be very exciting for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's basically what you do nine to five anyway, isn't it? You that's don't have so to agree right. with me, Omar. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we introduce him? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot uh, written and, and said about Everton, but um, I think it very very much helps to have a, a lawyer's perspective. So do you want to introduce uh, Alex? Of course. Ross? So, yeah, Alex is one of the stars of our um, Sheridan sport team and... Um, works with uh, me across all of sort of the transfer, commercial, dispute and reputation stuff that we get um, involved in for players and high net worths. And so um, when this decision came out, um, Alex um, and I and a few others in the team, Lee Anderson especially, uh, uh, well, Alex and Lee wrote um, a great piece, which I think came out yesterday, just uh, setting out a few of the key takeaways. And so um, bearing in mind, we thought it'd be a good chance to talk about Everton today It'd be a good chance for Alex to sort of opine on a few of the interesting takeaways and then I can um, come in with a few um, yeah, ideas as well, perhaps. Yeah, well, welcome, welcome, Alex. Thanks very much. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, good to be back. I think I did one of these maybe three or four years ago. Well, you were then... so good you didn't get invited back for a while. <laughs> Never got the invite back until now. So I won't take it. No, you only get, I, I can't remember what it was three or four years ago, but I'm sure it was a big deal. And, and now, you know, big see it that way i suppose um yeah this, this is the the glastonbury of topics <laughs> yes it's basically Alex um, on the pyramid stage is that what you're saying yeah. <laughs> headlining yeah, on the sunday exactly. correct <laughs> yeah um well uh, yeah let's get into it so um obviously you know everton's been the, the big story of the week um alex maybe it's worth like just setting out like how do we even get to this point um where a commission is looking into um you know, Everton's um, meeting of uh, of profit and sustainability rules, and then we can get into, I suppose, what the sanctions are, what the commission said, and what other teams should be looking out for. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, just to give a very brief background on those profit and sustainability rules, um, it's essentially the Premier League's version of financial fair play. Um, and what they say is that over a, a three-year period, your Profit, well, your losses cannot exceed um, a threshold of 105 million, um, and that's calculated across across the three years. Um, what kind of happened in this case was Everton essentially overspent on transfers. They were also having difficulties with their uh, new stadium as well, um, and so when they started, I think at the end of each year or the beginning of each season, they need to um, file reports and accounts with the Premier League. Um, and when it looked like they were getting close to the threshold, um, you know, the Premier League commenced their investigation. And following that investigation, um, they set up a commission, uh, an independent commission, um, which looked at all the evidence and obviously heard uh, the arguments from, from both sets of lawyers and, and came to the decision that came out, um, I think, on Friday last week or towards the end of last week. Yeah, and they landed on this this 10-point penalty, which was a uh, I suppose a bit different to the the method that the Premier League was was suggesting. So I guess how how did they land on that, and what were the what were the considerations that ultimately went into? Yeah. It? So what the Commission essentially said was, I think the overarching point from the Commission's perspective was this hundred and five million pound threshold is such a high threshold 
that if you do breach it and you do go beyond that, then really the the sanction has to be a pretty severe punishment on the club that's um, that's breached those rules. So um, what they said was, yes, we're going to use our discretion, um, but the overarching principle is that you know we need to punish the club not only. Um, to kind of disincentivise clubs from getting close to the threshold, but also because they've obtained a sporting advantage over, you know, a three or four year period um, over the other clubs around them in the table. And we can come on to talk to that uh, point a bit later around, you know, what other clubs may or may not do. Um, in terms of what the Premier League wanted, they, what they essentially argued or the, their lawyers argued was... Um, that they wanted a kind of formulaic approach being taken to the sanctions. So they put forward an argument that the starting point should be uh, a six-point deduction. And for every £5 million that the club went over that £105 million threshold, there would be a further one-point increased. Um, So that was what the Premier League argued. The Commission actually disagreed with that and said, that's not really what the rules say. What the rules currently say is, we have complete discretion um, to award whatever sanction we think is is reasonable and proportionate. Um, so we're going to exercise our discretion and there is no fixed formula. But what they did interestingly do, or what the commission interestingly did, was essentially leave the door open uh, for either an independent regulator or a Premier League to um, impose such a kind of formulaic approach. They I think they said that they recognise the attraction of potentially having you know, that certainty for clubs. Um, if they do go over the threshold, then at least they, they would know what um, sanction they're going to get. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether either the Premier League changes its own rules or whether uh, the independent regulator, once that is established, uh, comes in and, and you know changes the rules to a more formulaic approach. Yeah, that that makes sense, and I yeah I can yeah it's bizarre you can always see the appeal of it being more formulaic. Um, although you wouldn't want teams to kind of then be, I guess, calculating what they can what they can get away with. I suppose although I suppose the punishment is is pretty severe in terms of points penalties. Mm. Um, I suppose that the really interesting thing for me is now, I guess, the precedent that this sets and what uh, you know other clubs, um, you know, and you know obviously Chelsea and Man City have been been in the news as it relates to potential breaches of, of PSR what, what other clubs should be thinking about now um, as it relates to the, the sanctions that have been um, put out so what are the I guess what, what would be the things that are keeping owners up at night at the moment um, based on the, the ruling that's been just been made yeah so I think one of the key points um, is kind of the severity of the sanction and, and, and kind of the assumption that a points deduction will almost always be necessary um, and one of the key points that the commission made was you know, a lot of these Premier League clubs are owned by very, very wealthy owners. Um, and so, you know, just giving them a, a financial sanction, you know, a £5 million fine, £10 million fine is not going to be enough to, you know, disincentivise this sort of rule breaking. Um, and that is a point that would, you know, almost certainly be very relevant with, with both Chelsea and Man City. As you mentioned, if they were found to have breached uh, the PSR, then I'm sure a commission would, you know, follow suit in the same way as, as they did with Everton and say, you know, a financial sanction of X million is, is not going to be enough here. Um, a points deduction is probably um, going to be the only sanction really av- available to it. Um, and yeah, there were a couple of other interesting points as well in terms of what other clubs should be thinking about. Um, 
and what Everton tried to do in this case was was get a little bit creative with their uh, PSR calculations. So there was there was one point in particular around this idea of a transfer levy. So essentially, what happens is Premier League clubs pay four uh, percent of their transfer fees to the Premier League as a as a transfer levy. Um, most of that is um, paid into a pension scheme by the Premier League, but a, a surplus is then distributed to um, professional kind of youth funds used for youth development. And what Everton tried to argue was, well, actually, one of the exceptions from the PSR calculation is payment towards youth development. And they tried to argue that, you know, this surplus that the Premier League had been paying into youth development should be excluded. Uh, but the commission gave that pretty short thrift. Um, firstly, they said look, no club has ever tried to argue this particular point or, you know, um, interpret their accounts in this way. Uh, and secondly, this isn't a payment by Everton into youth development. This is just a transfer levy, the payment that Everton's paying to the Premier League. Um, and I think the overarching point really there was the Premier League, oh, sorry, the, the, the commission um, will not really allow for creative interpretation and creative accounting. And they were actually quite critical of one of Everton's representatives who um, essentially said in, in cross-examination, that you know, it was his job to interpret the rules in favour of his club, um, and the commission said that that's not really right. The, the your duty is to act in utmost good faith um, under the under the regulations um, and interpret the rules, you know, as they are in black and white, rather than trying to be creative. So, I think that's probably a lesson for other Premier League clubs. Yeah, almost almost reading through it, it reads like the commission, as you say. It, treat a lot of things with short thrift i think it's like the kind of recurring recurring theme throughout out of interest um putting you both on the spot here the way these commissions are formed i I guess the people on them have to be you know incredibly familiar with the rules incredibly familiar with the sport with what other clubs do i mean i guess how do you identify these people how are they um, and, uh, and how does that process actually work because i imagine it's pretty in-depth and requires a lot of a lot of time and thought no it's it's really true i mean it's a good point so my understanding is is that um there is more or less um a list a long list um that is um uh for a number of appointed arbitrators over a particular period of time and i believe it's um uh, a king's council called murray rosen that is um, effectively, I think as either called the chair, um, and then he will um, appoint, uh, be involved in the appointment process for the for the individuals on that um, long list. So um, the 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 point being is that you need to have that mix of expertise, as you said, understanding of the law, understanding of the regulations, and to a degree, an understanding of the football industry to ensure that you're going to have. Um, people best qualified to undertake um, that role. And especially because, you know, if, if you remember, I think we talked a couple of, uh, might've been a, even a couple of years ago or last year or so about Manchester City, if I remember correctly, um, before I think the charges were actually alleged, no, it must've been after the charges were alleged, um, they um, challenged the appointment of one of the arbitrators because I believe there was reference on the arbitrator's 
um, bio to supporting Arsenal, if I remember correctly. So the, 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 the issue being is that the appointment of those arbitrators for what are obviously very high profile matters, um, which now it appears are going to have significant, significant sporting significance um, mean that, um, you know, not only the appointments going to be scrutinised, but um, obviously everything that would ensure independence and uh, scrupulous independence is going to be really important. Yeah, and, and in football, and it feels like football's become more and more partisan and more and more tribal, um, th- things like that, um, you know, Arsenal supporting uh, accusation, um, if that's the right word, um, it almost feels like it'll come up more and more. Like there's, you know, trying to identify people. You know, how many people out there in the world of football um, can truly claim to have a kind of totally neutral perspective on the game? So I can imagine that's going to be uh, something that crops up again and again if, if we see more and more of these types of. Well, it's, it's the same, isn't it, Omar? I guess. I mean, just thinking in parallel. You know, it's the same accusation attached to some referees, for example, of where they were born or which teams they might have supported as a kid. The same to a degree. And, you know, we're quite relatively open about the fact that we're Liverpool fans. Would that, um, the query about, I guess, whether that would um, cause an issue for me if I was, so, you know, uh, if a client said to me, well, we've got a Liverpool transaction to do, are you okay negotiating against Liverpool? And the truth is, obviously, it's absolutely imperative that based on my solicitor's obligations that I do my best for the client. Not for one second do I suddenly think, oh, I need to get a good deal for Liverpool and not my client because I supported them and support them as a as a boy or even now. Um, it's simply being professional and doing your job. But the as we talked about also, the perception of conflict or the perception of doing things correctly, um, that there is obviously an overriding transparency to, to that too. Yeah, and I think I think actually, you know, a lot of people in who work professionally in football recognise that and you know, we work for clubs and have got people working for those clubs in our team that work for their rivals or whatever, but everyone just kind of is growing up about it. And I think the danger comes when everyone knows that, but that people are still willing to kind of call call out biases or, or whatever, or perceived biases, um, even when they might not actually be the case, because that kind of taps into, I suppose, what, what a lot of fans think. Um, one of the things I want to touch on as well was this uh, kind of concept of, of third-party clubs um, that have obviously been uh, I suppose uh, penalised, but to some degree by by Everton um, potentially over or Everton having you know charged with overspending or breaching, breaching PSR. Mm. What it seems like a somewhat of a kind of I don't want to say meandering, but a slightly more complex process as to how we get to got to where we are now and what happens next with the likes of Leeds, Forest, Southampton, and, and others that are um, yeah essentially affected and and seemingly kind of I suppose pursuing some kind of legal recourse for for Everton of um Everton have done. Yeah, I think that right that it, it is a slightly more convoluted process. Um and what we found out from a couple of the rulings that were published last week was that those four or five clubs that you just mentioned that most of which were were relegated from the Premier League in the seasons that Everton stayed up um are now seeking compensation. Um, from Everton and what they did actually back in May this year was they applied to become parties to the kind of the, the initial complaint against Everton. Um, that 
kind of application to become a party was actually rejected by the commission because they essentially felt that there's no need for them to be parties to the complaint um, itself because they're not going to have any effect on whether Everton breached um, PSR or not. Um, so they need to, to essentially wait for the outcome. And then once that outcome uh, has been you know, decided, as it has now, uh, they then have a certain period of time to make um, essentially submissions around their losses. Um, and there may then be a separate kind of compensation hearing where uh, a commission might may decide to um, essentially award compensation to those clubs. Um, I think w what's likely to happen now is Everton are going to appeal. So that that compensation hearing or decision is not going to happen until that appeal has been heard and decided, um, which is going to be probably later in the season, but should be done before the end of this season. Um, and at that point, yeah, those clubs will then have a chance to essentially put forward arguments around loss. Um, one point that Dan and I were discussing at lunchtime today was, you know, it's all well and good arguing around what you've lost. Um, and you can probably put some financial numbers on it, given, you know, each Premier League place is worth a couple of mil. Um, obviously, relegation to the Championship costs X man. Um, which you can probably put numbers on, but the difficulty really is around this idea of causation, which is a, a legal principle that you need to show that you know the breach actually caused you to go down um, or for you to to drop a place, and that's really difficult in in this sort of scenario um, where a club has simply overspent is is not as clear cut as, for example, fifteen or so years ago when when um, Sheffield, yeah, when Sheffield United um, essentially sued West Ham because West Ham had bought Carlos Tevez um, contrary to, to third-party ownership rules. And, you know, Sheffield could quite clearly show that Carlos Tevez's goals kept them up um, and relegated Sheffield. It's not quite as clear-cut here because, you know, Everton have overspent by 20 million. But what does that, you know, where's the causation? Which players have they bought that have necessarily meant that they've stayed up? How do you show that as a result of Everton overspending by 20 million over three years, that directly caused you to, to be relegated or for Everton to, you know, secure X amount of points to keep them safe? Um, so it's it's certainly not a straightforward uh, case. Um, but yeah, they'll have a chance to, to put forward arguments um, after the appeal. Yeah, really interesting that on that causation point i mean the way with my um 21st group hat on and, and thinking about how you might look at it you, you I, I suppose one way you could look at it is the amount that everton has spent it, there is a correlation between how much you spend and, and where you finish in the league and and we can see um you know the relationship between an extra pound of spending essentially on on league position um and essentially infer from that how many points I suppose Everton were better off from from the extra X um, that they that they went over the the hundred and five. So the, I suppose there are analytical ways about it, but but there's no, as you said, there's no absolutely no clear cut way about it because these things are always with any kind of analysis. There are shades of grey and different ways of, of approaching the analysis, but I suspect um, yeah, some of those clubs might be trying to look at it um, analytically in, in the first instance to try and um, put a number on it because, as you say, you can't just say oh that caused us to to be relegated and um, and hundred million pounds worse off, um, and I was just going to ask on on the firstly on the appeal process. You said you know it will probably take a bit of time, but hopefully 
or should be done this season. I mean, what what type of things go into an appeal process? Because presumably the Commission's looked at already a lot of evidence. They've given their view. Is it almost a response to some of the views that the Commission have provided, or is there new evidence? Or how, how does a process like that typically look? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, firstly, the interesting thing about that in the Premier League rules are a new panel would have to be constituted to hear the appeal. Um, then, you know, a forensic analysis of the actual written reasons becomes really important to ensure that um, what has been said and what has been written um, is equally justifiable. And there's all these issues around proportionality of sanction, of understanding of the um, uh, of the facts and anything being misinterpreted or misunderstood, for example. But I think a lot of it will come down to almost the discretion um, of the appeals panel based on the submissions of Everton, which are going to be probably on the lines of, yes, we and I think if, if I remember correctly, there is an admission that they did go over the PSR, but over a smaller amount rather than the larger amount that the, 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 uh, the panel found. There could be issues around the recategorization of particular amounts that the appeals panel could um, agree with Everton on, or they might agree with them on that um, the the discretion that the panel used in order to get to the ten points actually wasn't appropriate or otherwise. So um, some of it can be a little bit subjective um, in truth, but I think ultimately you would see this in terms of because it is really the first PSR decision um, by uh, for a Premier League club that's at least been I, th I don't think there's been any others is the truth um, that that the, there's no precedent that can be set obviously but in the other way around because it's the first one and because it's so substantive there may be grounds to be able to suggest that um, such a sanction might have been disproportionate um, the, the thing that I think what everyone wants to avoid in truth is what you don't want to get to is this um, appeal to drag on, I don't mean drag on, but go on until quite late um, in the uh, the season, into that last month of the season, really, in truth. Because, uh, you know, if you remember, it was ages ago when QPR were in potential breach of the third-party ownership rules. And it was just before they were possibly going to be promoted to the Premier League. They only found out literally of the morning of the game, I think, I can't remember who they were playing against, but I just remember it being at Loftus Road that um, the, the panel had found in their favour and there wasn't going to be potential points deduction. And in the same way, I think what's really, really crucial is enough of the season is left for everybody to understand what they need to do in order to stay up. That's not necessarily just for Everton, but it might also be for other clubs um, around them, depending on the... Um, uh, depending on what the actual f final sporting sanction might actually be. So I, in my mind, that's as much of a sporting integrity point as the panel arguing that for sporting integrity, you need to provide that points deduction. And that's not from, far from me to say what's right or wrong. But I think, you know, uh, my, my strong view is, is that you don't want it. You don't want it to happen quite late in the day. Uh, you want to give it enough breathing space so that everybody has um, a decent amount of time to um, to to know what they need to do in order to stay up. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think um, yeah, with the with the statistics hat on, you, you tend to treat results as independent from each other by and large, and, and I think they probably to a large degree are. But there is definitely independency in that knowing what another team is on 
particularly as you get into the last latter stages of the season, has a massive impact on on your performances and the, and the way that you approach games. So I can imagine that being um, incredibly uh, important to, to resolve. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was just going to ask you one question, Omar, if that's okay, unless you had anything to no, no. ask, but only because Alex and I have gone on for ages and hopefully it's been of some, and well, Alex has definitely been of some value. But um, yeah, it was really just to dig into a little bit on the the numbers and the analysis side of things, which is, I know uh, you obviously have the, the weekly update table that you provide on where everyone um, is uh, likely to finish. How much of a big swing did this at least initial point seduction have on Everton? And what does it sort of say for as much as you're able to say for the rest of the season? Yeah, so... Um... In our 21st group projections, they were about 6% to be relegated uh, before the point seduction. Um, it's a reflection of the fact that they, their results have been okay um, and they have actually been playing all right as well. I think if you look at some of the underlying metrics, the team's probably better than what the the league table suggests. Um, and they're also, you know, benefiting from the fact that there are the three promoted teams have really struggled this year. Um, you know, we've all seen that, and I know that they have obviously been in the bottom three, and Bournemouth haven't done particularly well as well. So, um, in a way, of all seasons to get deducted ten points, this has been a a good one, even though the outcome's not decided yet. We now have them thirty five percent to be relegated, so they are the fourth favourites behind uh, Luton, Sheffield United, and, and Burnley, all of whom are above fifty percent. So. You know, uh, balanced probabilities, they probably won't go down, but but it's still a reasonably um, high risk and, you know, clearly a, a circumstance that they didn't want to be in. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, as I say, I think of all seasons to get a 10-point deduction, that that's it's not the worst one. I also think there are probably some factors here that, that the modelling won't pick up, such as this could very well be a galvanising moment for the club. Um, you know, a lot of clubs seem to do really well when it's, us against the world mentality and actually um, on a bit of a tangent I think that was one of the things that really struck me about the Beckham documentary around what Sir Alex had done very very well at United was create that us versus them mentality and if Everton can recreate even a fraction of that over the rest of the season then they'll probably be in a in a pretty good place um, my other reflection actually just more broadly on on the uh, penalties is just I mean, the fact that we have to have a, and this is certainly no disrespect to you, uh, you Dan and, and Alex, the fact that we need lawyers uh, or certainly experts, you know, to, to talk through the findings and the rulings, I, I actually, I think it's a pretty unsatisfactory experience for fans because, you know, f- fundamentally sport should be simple to understand, should be straightforward. You should know, you should very clearly see the inputs and the outputs of things. Everything should be quite transparent. And the fact that, you know, gone through a process here and you know a commission has decided what um what should happen is i think not a great experience whether you agree or disagree with the punishment i think is is not a great experience for fans and this is where obviously the american sports um and and sport and competitions like the ipl and others get it really right i think is that it's pretty clear you know yes there is some opacity around some of the rules but by and large there's transparency around what teams can and can't do with their spend and their rosters and so on and that actually gives fans an extra narrative to follow and, and watch the sport so uh, yeah it's something doesn't sit right with me around the way that these regulations work not just in the Premier League but more broadly within European football and actually probably more broadly within European sport that there is a lot of 
you know, rules and regulations that can be quite impenetrable at times and, and not necessarily the transparency that um, that you'd like. And, and again, I'm not diminishing the process at all. And I think it's partly a function of the fact these rules are partly a function of the fact that, you know, European sport wasn't set up to deal with financial fair play and everything else in the same way that perhaps some of the American sports were. Um, but I do think fans are kind of left worse off. And that's not just Everton fans. That's that's fans of, of all clubs who, you know, s- suddenly get this news alert on a, uh, whenever it was, um, earlier this week or last week, um, to without really knowing what's what's happened or, or how it's come about. You know, only a vague understanding of of the rules. So that's kind of my reflection. It's a bit, it's a bit sad if it, if it, um, if anything. Um, but you know, per the numbers, it's probably spiced up the relegation battle. Yeah, I think I think the thing from my side is, um, just as a football fan, you want to see these types of things dealt with on the pitch. So I think that's the the fundamental, isn't it? Really. I also think the other thing is is that the stakes are obviously much higher sometimes in European football than there is in US sport, simply for the fact of the lack of relegation. So stakes higher, um, issues become more significant, especially because the negative downside can, can be so um, significant and detrimental too. Um, I just wonder, I always have this back and forth very briefly about whether, like Alex started off the conversation, whether if everybody knew exactly what the tariffs were, whether that would make everything more straightforward for everybody or whether that rigidity is actually more of a problem because there's no uh, leeway out should there be a breach. And in effect, you know, there's always this bit about, you know, where does sporting sanction substitute for financial sanction and um the 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 panel's view is is that you know having a a rich owner means that the only way that you you hit a club substantively is because uh is is for what they do on the pitch so um yeah i think the first position is always that but you know or you always have fans crying out for you know teams spending too much money not being sustainable how can we compete you know, that's the flip side of a situation now where we've got, you know, Everton is the first example and possibly more on the horizon um, and everybody's speculating about what might happen next. And the truth is, is that all situations are different. Um, timelines obviously vary quite significantly. And, that you know, the next year or so is going to be massively important for um, City and potentially Chelsea, bearing in mind some of the uh, investigations and revelations that have been reported over the last couple of weeks too. Yeah, well, I agree with all of that, absolutely. Um, well, very good. We've hit the half-hour mark. Thanks so much, Alex, for joining us, and we'll have you on the next time there is a, a massive story in football. So no, about, about the next yeah, three years, basically. Yeah, yeah, 2026 exactly. or so. <laughs> <laughs> Give or take. And Cheers, guys. Much, Cheers so much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundee football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundee an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally and via audible all links are in the podcast show notes Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. 
All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.